battling the secondary market bourbon markups, getting into bourbon with one flight of different bourbons, and building a brand around whiskey. What's up, guys? You are listening to the Whiskey Noobs Podcast, and of course, as always, I am your host, Chris. Today, we have yet another Q&A episode of the podcast. These episodes are where I sit down, I answer questions brought to me by you guys, the listeners. So if you want to submit a question, there are two ways you can do it. You can go to my Instagram page, at whiskey underscore noobs, and every Wednesday, I post a sticker to my story. That sticker gives you 24 hours to submit a question, and then I will select some of the questions that were submitted. If you want to jump to the front of the line, because we don't have enough time to get to all of the questions anymore, unfortunately. So if you want to jump to that front of the line, you can do that by going to the link in the show notes and joining the Patreon page. All different Patreon tiers are able to submit questions, and I will pick from there. Actually, all the Patreon questions get answered, especially as of right now, because we have enough time to answer all of them. And then I pick from Instagram to fill in the remainder of the questions. Thank you so much to everybody who submits questions. Please don't be discouraged from submitting them or stop submitting them or anything like that, uh, because I still I pick anything that seems like a good question that I feel like we haven't hammered home a lot. I always try to pick it. And as you'll see with the lightning round, I squeeze as many questions into these episodes as I can because I love answering as many of these questions as I can. So in the typical format, I will be going through and I will be answering, I think, five, maybe six today uh, in in long form. I'll sit down and I'll actually pick apart these questions and and go in depth. And then in order to get as many questions answered as we can, I go into a lightning round where I just rapid fire answer the questions as fast as I can. If you know me, you know I'm talkative and you know that the rapid fire isn't always very rapid. But The point being that I answer as many questions as humanly possible. So the one thing that will be different about this episode is I will not be doing a mystery whiskey tasting. Typically with a QA and a episode, I would go through and I would drink a whiskey. I would give you some of the notes and you could guess what that whiskey was in order to try to improve your ability to associate different flavors with different types of whiskey. I won't be doing that in this episode because we are in dry January. That's right. In case you forgot about it, I am going to be doing dry January this year. So I will not be doing any drinking on any of the podcast episodes. I'm actually recording this prior to January, but I'm not going to be drinking because I don't want to rub it in your guys' face because I know that a lot of you might be going through dry January with me. Throughout the whole month of January, I'm not going to be drinking probably at all. I considered drinking for whiskey reviews that I have to do, like when people request reviews from me. But for the moment, I'm going to try to do my reviews by spitting out the whiskey. If I feel that I'm not getting fair reviews, I'm not doing a good enough job, then I will probably go back to drinking the whiskey only for reviews, though. But I am, throughout the month of January, cutting out all other drinking. So no fun drinks. You guys might know for a while there I was only doing one fun drink a week anyways. So cutting those fun drinks out and uh, probably cutting out all drinking all together for the month of January. I've never done it. I've done dry January once on the podcast two years ago, and I've never done it um, with as much going on as we have going on now. Back then, it was kind of like I'd throw out a TikTok every once in a while. I'd throw out an Instagram post every once in a while. Didn't really have the volume of reviews, the volume of requests, things like that that we have right now. So for that reason, I <laughs> I got to tread lightly uh, and make sure that I'm, I'm able to still do all of the things that I have promised people, all the reviews that I promised people, um, and make the type of videos that I need to make. 
while hopefully not actually swallowing any whiskey I will be spitting it out. We'll see how that goes. So that that's my spiel for what I am planning to do. Now, here's why dry January is so important. I wanted to start off with dry Jan, and then, of course, we'll get to the questions. So, you know, hit that skip button for the next minute or two, probably, because I'm going to give my dry January spiel. I'm doing dry January because I think it's very important to take a break from drinking for a couple of reasons. The first reason, and hopefully the most obvious, is that alcohol is not good for you. I, I don't drink very much alcohol, but even in small amounts, you're still drinking something that's inherently not good for you. So I like to take a break from it, take a month out, it's just one month out of the year, and not drink, at least to the extent that I'm able to not drink. Uh, and I, I think it's a good break from drinking, it's good for your body, all that, of course it is. I also think mentally it's a good thing. Um, I've experienced before with Dry January that it really makes me appreciate whiskey tastings a lot more. Um, for Sometimes I'll, I'll just get to where I'm kind of not really thinking about the tastings that I'm doing. I'm not really thinking about or appreciating the whiskeys that I'm drinking, especially with the nature of what I do with so many reviews. It can get tedious and it can feel more like work than it is like enjoying whiskey. Dry January is a break from that, and so it's a good way to be reminded of, of the pleasure of the activity, not necessarily the alcohol, but enjoying the work of art that it is that you're consuming. That's another reason that I like Dry January. I also think, in general, fasting, discipline, those sorts of things are very good practice for anything. Fasting from anything can be a good thing. Um, so fasting from whiskey or consumption of any kind of alcohol is is even even better, probably, in my opinion. Um, so those are just a few reasons. Um, and I could probably go on. I think I've done maybe two years ago, I did like a full episode going through dry January, I think. Um, and so if you want to hear that, you can go back. That would probably be, gosh, in the 20s or 30s, I would guess, of episodes. Um, and maybe it was just a, a blurb in the beginning of an episode like this one. Is, I, I don't remember for sure. But needless to say, um, that is why I do dry January. I feel there are a lot of good reasons to do it. I could go on for a lot longer. So make your personal decision. If you want to do it, fine. If you don't, don't worry about it. It's totally your call. I know that this episode is coming out a week into January, so you could do a dry three quarters of January if you want to start today. Whatever you want to do. I'm not pressuring anybody into doing it. I just like to do it because I like to do it for me. And so I make it a thing through the podcast. So those who listen to the podcast, we can kind of go through it together. We can experience it together and uh, we can uh, prop each other up <laughs> when we need it. Especially those of you on the Patreon because the Patreon does have a group chat where we can all talk to each other. Um, and so if anybody on there is going to be going through dry January as well, I've probably already been messaging in that chat about it. So that is why I'm doing dry January. If you're hitting that 15 second skip button, you can stop now and we will get to the questions of today. As mentioned, I'm going to go through these first one, two, three, four, five in long form, um, maybe five and a half ish. And then the rest will be lightning round fast. You know, that's how I'll go through those. So without further ado, let's get started. A good intro bourbon flight for a scotch slash single malt lover and a Jim Beam slash Jack Daniels hater. Now, I think in general, I, I want to put together an in general good bourbon flight for a beginner. Uh, and I'll, I, I might in the future really refine this. I might really work on it and come up with something that I think is really good. But here I'm going to come, I'm going to make one up by the seat of my pants, basically. Um, I'm going to come up with it just off the cuff here. 
Here's the general rules that I would follow for putting together a bourbon flight. I would, especially if you're a beginner, if you're not, if you're pretty new to bourbon, I would go with stuff that has different flavors because bourbon, surprisingly to a lot of people, does have a pretty wide range of flavors. I forgot to mention I'm drinking, for those who are watching the video, I'm drinking coffee on this episode instead of our mystery whiskey tasting. You'll probably see me drink a lot of coffee this month, even if it's decaf because I love the taste of coffee. Sorry, uh, I just got a little distracted squirrel um anyways if i was putting together a bourbon flight i would keep it very different i'm looking over at my shelf right now to come up with some ideas there's a few necessities and i'm gonna say a flight of four to five um because i would do i would do little bits i would do like a half an ounce per glass or something like that maybe maybe an ounce per glass but you don't want to be toasted um you're gonna want a high rye bourbon for sure. And you might want two because some high rise are not all high rise are created equally. And I'm assuming we're leaving finished bourbon out of this, but um, I'll amend it for finished bourbon at the end here. So I would say two very different high rise, two very different weeded bourbons, and then something just kind of in the middle if I was going to pick five. Or I would do I would do two of each type except for one of the types. So let me let me explain. I said two high rye, two weeded, one that doesn't specify what it is really. Or you could do two high rye, one weeded, two that don't really fall into any specific category or any combination of that, if, if what I'm saying is making sense so far. Uh, the reason being, I would pick two from a category that you expect to like a little bit more. So you can probably narrow down whether you're going to prefer high rye or weeded like right away. Um, especially there's a episode, I forget what episode it is, like 138, no, 134 maybe, um, one of the 130s where I go through a tasting with Zach of Green River versus Green River Weeded. That is a high rye bourbon versus a weeded bourbon. Um, and they're made by the same company. They have the same mash bill except the rye and the wheat are swapped out. So that will give you a really good idea of what you can expect to be different between a high rye and a weeded bourbon. In general, a high rye bourbon is going to have more pepper, more punch, more kick. In general, a weeded bourbon is going to be a little bit sweeter, a little bit less kick. Um, a little, Not necessarily like a creamy sweetness, because some of them it's more like a molasses or a syrupy sweetness. Um, but just in general, there will be less punch, less kick to them. So if you don't want to include finished bourbons, that is what I would do. If you want to include finished bourbons, the spectrum grows tenfold. I don't even think you can really handle it in one bourbon flight because there are so many different finishes that taste so incredibly different. It's, it'd be kind of like saying, um, how do I put together a flight of five scotches when there are, you know, there's like five different regions in Scotland. There are a bazillion different ways you can finish scotch. Kind of the same idea. So for that reason, I would say if you want to include finished bourbon, you could almost do your own flight of just finished bourbons, and I would just pick different finishes, honestly. There's no right or wrong answer. You might lean more towards one or the other. Um, I wouldn't do like more than one wine finish. I would pick one wine finish, like a Madeira or a Port finish, something like that, um, or maybe like a Cabernet finish, Some, just one type of like a red wine finish. Then I'd pick a wood finish, uh, like an Amberana. Some, or Amberana is very different and unique, so I'd probably just include that anyway, because you want to know if you like Amberana or not. Uh, then I would pick probably... Probably some type of a French oak finish because French oak is very common uh, and I also love French oak so I like to let people try that a lot. 
then you can try a couple unique finishes. I have one finished in a Nochino. I've had one finished, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, a different type of a bitter liqueur. I forget what it was because um, I don't have it anymore, but I did have it. Um, there are some beer finishes out there if you're into that sort of a thing. Uh, I can't think of any other any other crazy finishes. So I would do a flight with different finishes like that, and you can, from there, figure out if you like finished bourbons, which type you like. But but separately, I would do the flight of bourbons. So I will name five. If you, were, if you wanted to do two high rye, two weeded, and I'm going to say two that don't really specify because you could pick any five of these six then that you think would fit your palate. Like I said, if you think weeded sounds better, do two weeded and one high rye. If you think high rye sounds better, do two high rye and one weeded, something like that. So for a weeded bourbon, I would try Green River weeded. That would be a go-to for me. And then I would try... Oh, let me think about this. What's another good weeded bourbon? A lot of people like Maker's Mark. And Maker's is fairly different of a flavor from Green River. So that might be good to have both of them. Because then it's two different tasting weeded bourbons. So that's probably what I would do for the weeded. For the high rye, absolutely I'd get some kind of a Four Roses in there. Uh, preferably something a little higher, like a Four Roses, sing- or not single barrel, small batch. Or their single barrel. But I would go Four Roses small batch probably. Um, then I would get a... Uh, wild turkey yeah i would do wild turkey 101 because those are also once again two very different tasting high rise a lot of people have said to me before that like wild turkey doesn't even really taste high rye ish um so there it's it's a different type of a high rye different flavor i guess it's just presenting the flavors differently then for something that's not specified as either end of it now these might have mash bills that like that fall into one of those categories, but they're not advertising it as those categories. And for that reason, it can kind of just give you a different experience. This is a weird one, but it just popped into my head. Uh, Penelope bourbon, because they have a four grain recipe. So it's got, you're getting all kinds of different flavors. And so it's, it's kind of just totally different um, from some of the other ones that I've had. Then... Oh, then I would probably do an Old Forester. Maybe the, just the Old Forester 100 proof. I think it's, I don't know if it's bottled in bond or if it's just 100 proof. I think it's bottled in bond. Um, that would also give you a different, kind of a classic bourbon flavor, but it's, it's very different of a classic bourbon flavor from the Penelope. So that, like I said, that's off the cuff. I would, uh, I'm going to probably sit down and think about that a lot more because I think that could be a fun video to even do um, where I walk through a flight like that. That might be fun. So I'm going to do a lot more thinking. Oh, I just saw Larceny. I'm going to substitute Larceny in for the Maker's Mark. I changed my mind. I would do uh, Green River Weeded, and then I would do Larceny Small Batch because Larceny is going to give you a very important type of bourbon flavor. Uh, important meaning there are other bourbons that taste this way. And so you want to know if you like that or not. I call it dusty barrel. It's almost a little bit like walking into an old barn. It has this very specific taste to it um, that some people really hate. It's almost moldy to some people um, or some people really like. I used to hate it. I now fall in the camp where I love it just because taste buds change. Um, so that that would be a good one to have in there because you'd get an idea of that flavor. I spent a ton of time on that question, but great question. Um, and I might be doing more with that later on. <clears throat> 
The next question. I'll make this one a little quicker, I promise. Do you make any money off of bottle picks or do you break even? That's a great question. Um, if you include the bottles that I buy from the barrel pick, I probably break even or do a little bit worse than even. I probably spend some of my own money on the barrel picks. Um, because, and the thing, the reason I include that as like a cost is because I am not opening these bottles that I've bought. I'm hoping in the future to use them for fun stuff, maybe giveaways, maybe something totally different. Um, I've seen people do really creative stuff with their barrel picks before, and so I want to have some before they are gone. Uh, for those who don't know, a barrel pick is a barrel that I picked out. Um, I've done one with Bourbon of the Week, and I've done one with that one dude, Ryan. Uh, and I picked it out because I thought it tasted good out of those samples, or we picked it out as a, as a team. And then once that barrel is bottled and all those bottles are sold, you can never get it again. It's gone forever because it was that one barrel. If you're not, if you're, if you're newer into whiskey, different barrels taste wildly different to get a consistent flavor. The people that are bottling these mass produced whiskeys, they're blending them together until they get a, a, a consistent flavor. So <clears throat> barrel picks, once they're gone, they're gone. So for that reason, I buy bottles from myself, from the pick. And I, I would say I probably on this last one, I probably didn't even break even. I probably spent money out of pocket but I don't know for sure. And that last barrel pick, by the way, it's a hard truth uh, distillery barrel pick. It's still available. I will throw the link in the show notes for those who uh, want to still get a bottle. I still recommend it. It's it's a delicious drink, but I know that it's it's very pricey. Um, I think it's worth every single penny, but I understand those who, who don't want to uh, break the bank. and I, I get that. But if you do want a bottle, it is still available. Now that the holidays are over, maybe uh, maybe it's a little bit easier to justify buying that bottle for yourself. And, and I recommend it. So good question about barrel picks, though. And I should just add, um, I don't, uh, or, or I should just add about how much money I make. So I make a, a certain commission on barrel picks, at least with the, the retailer that I'm currently working with. On the first retailer, it was just we could add however much money we wanted to make. So if I added $5 per bottle, then Chris from Bourbon of the Week and I split two fifty per bottle. That's not how much we added. I actually don't remember... I don't remember how much we added to that bottle, but it wasn't very much. Um, the, the new retailer that I'm working with, uh, they have a commission structure. So if I sell any bottle through them, not even a barrel pick, I make a certain commission. For barrel picks, I can do the same thing. I can add a premium on top of it, and then uh, Ryan and I would split that premium. At least for the hard truth pick, we decided not to add any premium to it because we knew it was a pricey bottle. So we're just making the same commission we would always make if we weren't doing a barrel pick. If we were just selling any bottle, I think um, Penelope Barrel Strength is on my bottle shop. If you were to just buy that, I would just make a commission for being the person who led you to the bottle shop. So no premium on this current barrel pick um, because we really wanted to try to make it as cheap as we could. We knew it was a pricey bottle, but we thought it was so good that we wanted to lower the price by not adding any premium to it. Next question. I said I was going to make that short, and I didn't really. So I'm going to I'm gonna try harder here, guys. <laughs> Next question. If you only had money for one, would you do your own bourbon trail or go to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival? This is going to be a hard one to do slowly because I love this question. Great question. I would do both. So I know that's a total cop out of a question, but the reason is they're two totally different experiences. So when I say I would do both, I guess what I mean is I would pick one or the other based on your preference. Here's what I mean. If you want to try a bunch of different bourbons, you want to talk with the distillers, you want to, um, basically the big thing being sampling bourbons, 
go to Kentucky Bourbon Fest. Um, that is the best way. For me, I consider it an amazing value. You can try a ton of different bourbons. You get access to rare bourbons, the ability to buy them. Uh, you get to try some rare or wildly expensive different whiskeys that they have there. If that's what you're looking for, do that. If you're more interested in the history and the culture of bourbon in Kentucky, then I would do the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. But the the asterisk that comes with that is people don't realize the bourbon trail is huge. There are countless distilleries that you could go to, and it is not something you're going to crank out in a long weekend. It's something that my wife and I, when we're doing it, <clears throat> because I am trying to go to more distilleries so I can give you guys more reviews, uh, we're just breaking it up into little weekend trips. One distillery the first time we went, two distilleries the last time that we went. It takes time. you got to schedule tours at these distilleries. <clears throat> Sorry, something in my throat today. Um, you gotta, you gotta schedule the tours of these distilleries. It takes a lot of time. You're bopping around Kentucky. For those of you who don't know, it's, it's actually more spread out than people think. So you've got Louisville, you've got Bardstown, you've got uh, Lexington, you've got Green Rivers all the way over in Owensboro, Kentucky. All these things are like out, like an hour or so away from each other. Buffalo Trace is in Frankfurt. That's an hour away. So they, these are all like hours from each other. For that reason, um, unless you're going to schedule out like a week and really rigorous, rigorously plan where you're going to be each day, the bourbon trail would be pretty difficult to do. Um, and there are like, you can do itineraries online, I think, where they say, oh, go to this and this and this, and you can plan out little mini trips or you can plan out one big long trip. But my point being, that's a much larger effort way to do it. Um, so I would only do that if you're interested in the distilleries and the history and the culture, which of course I am. That's why I do this podcast. So if you're like me and you like that sort of a thing, then I would do the bourbon trail. If you want, if you're more worried about trying the different brands, learning what trends are up and coming, those sorts of things, then I would do the Kentucky bourbon festival. Um, and if you only have money for one of the two, I would base it on that. When you go do tours of the bourbon trail and you go, um, tour all these different distilleries. Some of them will give you lots of tastings. Some of them won't really give you much to taste at all. It totally depends. And so for that reason, um, you kind of want to, you, you, it's more customizable, I guess. Like if there's a couple brands, if there's a handful of brands that you're really interested in, then it probably does make more sense to do the, uh, bourbon trail than it does to do the Kentucky bourbon festival. Um, so it, it, like I said, there's not really a great answer. Um, the way that I would do it. So like if I was not in the position that I'm currently in and, um, which I've been very blessed with and I'm, I'm not trying to, uh, I, I always am so worried about coming across as like pretentious, but I promise I don't mean to come across that way. If I was not in the position that I'm in where I get to go tour these distilleries and I get to go to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival and I had to pick one right away, it'd be Kentucky Bourbon Festival. I would go there. I would learn about different brands. I'd find brands that I like, find the types of bourbon that I like, learn about those things. That would be what I would do. And then over the course of years, I would basically go to the bourbon trail, like maybe on a long weekend. Maybe I would do what I said, where I take one whole week and plan out an itinerary. 
those sorts of things. I would go to distillers that I know that I like and I wanted to learn more about. I would go to distilleries that I've heard are very nice or very cool or interesting. Um, so far, my wife has loved, we've gone to three and done full tours of three and she loved all three. Um, we went to Maker's Mark. I did a whole episode on that. And we just recently went to Nulu and Bardstown, um, which I probably have videos that have already come out about Bardstown. Uh, Nulu, there will be a podcast about coming up here later on. So, um, loved all those distilleries because they're gorgeous. They have history behind them. Nulu, since they're a newer distillery, they walk you through history of prohibition. All very cool. And I say all that to say that I would pick distilleries where I felt there was a reason I wanted to see it, and I would go see those distilleries. That would be the way that I would do it. And that's kind of how I'm doing it. So I go to KBF as media, uh, so it's a little different for me. But because of that, I just go to distilleries on the bourbon trail that I want to learn more about or that I'm able to schedule some time with. And I'm just kind of picking apart at the bourbon trail because it's huge. If you go, there's a website for it. There's just, you'll be overwhelmed. I was the first time I logged into that website or the first time I got on it, I should say. Um, so that that's how I would do it. Really a matter of preference. Um, but I, I hate that it's not a simple answer and I'm sorry that it's not, but hopefully that gives you some guidance, especially depending on what it is that you're looking for. But my route would be KBF to learn a lot about different brands and different bourbons and then bourbon trail for brands that I like later on if, if you can. Um, and then if you're not really worried about new or up and coming brands, if you've been a fan of specific brands for a long time, you know what you like in bourbon, you know what it is you want to see. You can just jump straight to the bourbon trail. No need to go to KBF. I would still go to KBF if I wanted all the other benefits that I mentioned. But um, yeah, that's a, that is a confounded answer, and I'm sorry that it's not simple. <laughs> but are any, are any answers really that simple? Um, yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not a simple answer. It just really depends on what you're looking for. Next question. What has been the most uphill battle when creating a brand around whiskey? I thought this was a really unique question. I haven't really had to sit down and think about it before. I think there are a few uphill battles, and I'll make this one the quick one since I keep saying I'll make it quick and I keep not making it quick. The first uphill battle, the obvious one, is that I'm young, and nobody believes a young guy when it comes to whiskey. They all expect me to be an old guy wearing a sport coat who's been drinking whiskey for 50 years. Uh, so because I'm young, a lot of people write me off immediately. That's an uphill battle. Another uphill battle is I don't need to just be an expert in whiskey. I actually, I need to be an expert in content creation who knows things about whiskey and can communicate them to people effectively. Um, that's an uphill battle. I started this from the perspective of I'm going to become a whiskey expert, and I quickly realized I need to become a content creation expert as well. So that's, that's a hard thing. Becoming a content creator in any type of industry is hard because you have to first and foremost be a content creator and then you have to learn how to take the thing that you want to sell to people or not sell but um the thing that you want to inform people about or make interesting to people and you have to know about that too so that's really difficult um uh, what's another uphill battle there was another one that i wanted to make sure i brought up i'm gonna take a sip of my coffee and try to remember Ah, uh, yes how did i forget the whiskey industry specifically because you mentioned the whiskey industry um the the biggest uphill battle probably is it is very 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 hard to monetize whiskey content creation so would i love to be doing this full time and bringing you guys just triple the content that i'm bringing you right now bringing you two podcasts per week and and three videos a day i would love that that would be awesome problem is 
Um, there's not enough money in it, at least right now for me. Uh, monetizing in the alcohol world is very difficult. It's very difficult to advertise for alcohol without having your posts taken down. Uh, you might notice that I don't do a lot of paid promos unless it's with like a thing, like a glass or a cocktail smoker, those sorts of things, um, which I'm working on different, different monetization things. Um, but that's the most uphill battle is... Even just getting money for new camera equipment and new microphones. There's new microphones that I've been wanting for literally a year and a half, and I still don't consider myself able to afford them quite yet. There's other things that take priority over new mics. Getting the money for those sorts of things and the monetization, I'll just be transparent with you guys. It's difficult. In the fashion industry, in these unregulated types of industries, you can just monetize. You can put that it's a paid partnership. You can do all this, and everything's fine, and the algorithm still loves you. It's very difficult to do in alcohol, um, and so that's why the Patreon is so important, and I'm so thankful to all the patrons because that is the easiest way to monetize in the alcohol industry because I can just straight up post what the, the people on the Patreon want. I can talk to you guys through the Discord. No, it's, it's not really a Discord. It's kind of like a Discord. It's a community chat. I can talk to you guys through there uh, if you're on the Patreon page. And, and it's a direct payment, which is so great. And I'm so thankful to the patrons. But the rest of the monetization, we just mentioned how I don't make any money off barrel picks, really. Uh, the rest of it's very difficult. Uh, that's probably the biggest uphill battle, I would say, um, is just that navigating this while being very careful not to accidentally do something that's against alcohol laws or advertising laws, those sorts of things. That's probably the biggest uphill battle. I ended up being a little bit wordier on that one than I would than what I originally planned. So I apologize, and I'll make the lightning round fast. But great question. Thank you for asking. I mean, sometimes it feels nice to just vent into a microphone and know that at least one person listening actually wants to know my opinion on it. Next question. How do we combat the secondhand seller markup of hard-to-get bottles? I'm going to try very hard not to get on a soapbox with this one, but I'll make it quick. How do we combat the secondary market? People mark up these bottles for tons of money and they resell them. You know, I've been really on the fence about this for a long time. I still love the gamble of hopping in line and seeing if I can get a good bottle or not. And I probably always will. It's fun. It's interesting. It's something different to do. I like it. Um, but I've always said I treat allocated bottles as if that it's exactly that it's a gamble and it's just for fun and i'm not like dying to try these allocated bottles you're talking to somebody who has been a quote-unquote content creator influencer whatever you want to call me in the in the whiskey world for a while now still never had any of the pappies except for old rip van winkle tenure um still never had any btac um buffalo trace antique collection and that's not to say that I don't want to try those things. I would love to try those things. But I also have put them in a different spot in my brain where it's more like something that you say is on your bucket list and then don't worry about it until the opportunity presents itself. Do I want to skydive before I die? Sure. Am I actively looking up how I can skydive and how I can go get this done and do it? No. Um, same thing goes for those types of, of whiskeys. And that's kind of how I've started treating all allocated bourbon, all rare stuff, all of that is it's just in the back of my brain. And when the opportunity presents itself, am I going to be super excited if I ever win the Ohio bottle lottery and I get my hands on a pappy? I'll be so stoked. Until then, I give it almost no I give it almost no energy at all. I I just don't worry about it. And the reason for that being, and I've especially started to learn this as craft distillers have started sending me stuff for reviews, 
There are so many amazing bottles out there. I mean amazing bottles out there that don't get any love or they get plenty of love, but they just sit on a shelf still. Like like plenty of people are buying it and loving it, uh, but you know there's still so much of it because they don't, I don't want to say purposefully make their things scarce, but there's an argument to be made that some people purposefully make their things scarce. And these craft distillers are not. They're like, please buy our entire inventory. Please do it. And so for that reason, I've really, really cut back on really worrying about allocated stuff or rare stuff lately. And I'm a lot more interested in these uh, craft bottles. And I want to try to make those craft bottles more accessible. That's something I'm working on with my bottle shop where I can curate specific bottles and say, hey, you guys uh, should buy this from my bottle shop if you're interested because I personally think it's really good. I am hoping to uh, start to do that sort of a thing a bit more. But it's, you know, there's a lot of logistics there. Um, and I'm also definitely, definitely trying to crank up the reviews on these craft things and try to come up with more interesting ways to do it so that if I don't, if I just review it, then it doesn't go anywhere. TikTok, Instagram, they don't push it. They don't care. Uh, people see it and they're like, oh, it's just some Joe Schmo giving his opinion on a bottle. So I'm trying to come up with a newer format that will really make people uh, watch so that if strangers are watching if random people are watching the video does well enough that you guys get to see it if not then the only way to see these videos is to like check my instagram because sometimes like instagram or, or tiktok will just you'll a few people will see it and nobody else will see it they just won't push the video oh, that's another reason that i think maybe i could utilize the patreon maybe i can try to i already do chris's greatest hits and misses on patreon where i do my my favorite and least favorite bottles so that people can really hear about them right away um so I'm working on ways to get that information to you guys. But all of that is to say that I the, the way to combat the secondary market is to stop caring about it. It is to make it uh, like an appendage that withers away. You know, like a, if you don't use a muscle, it, it, it atrophies. That's how we get rid of the secondary market, honestly. That's the only real answer. I know that answer sucks because some people want so badly to try these different bottles. And I feel for you. I get that. But... Um, after you try enough different craft bottles and enough really good bottles, you'll probably be like, I don't really care to try the rare stuff. And then especially as you try the rare stuff. I try the rare stuff and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a really good, I just got Weller 12 for the first time. I tried a sample of it before, but I just got my first bottle of it. I'm like, yeah, this is a really good bourbon. Um, but, you know, is it better than the the copper and cask that I just did a review on? Probably not, you know, it's probably not better than that. And I did wait in line for two hours for it. Copper and cask, no line, you know. So it really depends. It, 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 but the best way is to is to quit worrying about it probably. And, and I know that answer is terrible. And I don't want to seem like a hypocrite. I'm still going to stand in line. But I'm going to stand in line as a hobby because I think it's fun. It, it's like gambling. Um, I'm not, I don't really put myself out there to be a diehard to try to get these bottles anymore. Um to me, it's just not worth it. And I think that's how we kill the secondary market, if I'm being honest. There's so much selection out there, we almost don't have to worry about the secondary market anymore. Okay, um, those are all the long-form questions. This next one's going to be a halfway long-form question. Um, the question is, cork or screw top? I've heard screw tops are actually better, as they are often more sealed than loose corks. Thoughts? So, excellent question. I don't know which one seals better. But I do know my brain has one answer and my heart has another. My brain would say screw tops 
all day long. They screw on nice and easy. They uh, they do seal it well enough. I, I don't know if it's better or worse. They seal it up real nice, especially plastic screw tops. And the metal ones, ironically to me, don't seem to seal as well. Um, they seal it up real nice. Uh, you don't get any cork rot in there. So even with a good cork, a lot of times it'll dry up. If you're not flipping your bottles regularly, that cork will start to dry up and you'll get little tiny bits of sawdust in your, in your whiskey. Um, and so for that reason, my brain says screw tops all day long. They're more convenient. It just makes sense. My heart, my heart says corks. You know, I love that. Feel. I mean, it's literally the intro to this podcast. I love that feeling of popping a cork out. Um, so do corks feel nicer? Yes. Are screw tops more lo- logically or functionally make more sense? Probably. <laughs> That's my answer. Um, I, I'm to the point now where it, because I feel both sides of the fence, um, I'm really okay with either one that I get. I understand that corks seem cooler and I understand that screw tops logistically might make more sense. Um, so totally, totally is like a non-factor for me very much anymore. There are a lot of great bourbons out there with screw tops. Um, so moving on to the lightning round now, uh, the first lightning round question, uh, is actually comes to us from a patron, but I apologize. I don't have a better answer for you. Hopefully I will hear in the future. Have you ever tried Dalmore 12 year as a bourbon drinker? It's my favorite scotch. I haven't, but now you make me want to try it. So I probably will be trying it here in the, in the not so distant future, hopefully. Um, because yeah, I saw that and I was like, man, now I really want to try that. So hopefully I will soon. Um, let me jump over one more from a patron that I almost forgot about. Uh, this is more of a statement, but I very much appreciate it. It says, Merry Christmas. I think you're on to something with your podcast and your videos. I'm proud to be a supporter, and I look forward to what the future brings. Thank you very much. That, that seriously means so much. And um, I really love the community that we've built here. A lot of awesome people. And now that we have that community chat on Patreon, those awesome people get to talk to each other. It's really great. And I, I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate all of the awesome interactions and all of the awesome support from you guys. Okay, now I'll stop gushing, I promise. And I will move over to the lightning round questions. Let me find them. Okay, I think I'm going to have to be really fast with these, actually. There's quite a few that I picked out, so we'll, we'll try it. Okay, Black Barrel. What exactly does that mean? This person is asking about Jameson Black Barrel. Um, I actually did a full tasting of it, I think, two episodes ago. Um, and they're talking about they use double-charred barrels, I think, is why they call it Black Barrel. They char it twice, I believe. But it's just another brand of Jameson, another label, I should say. And I like it a lot more than the usual Jameson. How long can whiskey last in a decanter? If it's a decanter with a good seal, I would use the same rules that I use for bottles. Um, And you want a decanter with a good seal. It's not like a wine decanter where you want it to be exposed to air. You do not want that. The next question, how much of a difference does a Glencairn make rather than a rocks glass? The true answer is not a lot of difference if you're just sipping on it. Um, If you are doing a tedious review, if you are really wanting to break down a whiskey, especially the nose, Glencairns do make a world of difference. I'm not going to lie. The nose is way better. I've actually done some episodes where I've compared the two. How to get into scotch without being comparative to other whiskey. That's my current problem. I'm assuming you mean you try different scotches and it's hard because you're always comparing to like bourbon. If I were you and you wanted to really get into scotch without comparing to other whiskey, I would do some flights and some blind tastings of just scotches and really dig into the nuance between different types of scotch. That's basically what I've done with bourbon, and that's how I really 
learned so much about bourbon. I mean, lots of different series where I was doing all kinds of different blind battles and tastings and brackets. Those sorts of tastings where you're comparing to each other will help you to compare less to other things. The next question, what is a tater? I wanted to answer this because I used to not know. Tater is a nickname that people give to somebody who is, let's say, highly interested in those allocated and rare bottles that we previously talked about. Different people have different definitions. Some people would consider me a tater just for waiting in line. Some people are talking mostly about the people who are obsessed with those rare bottles and they only care about those rare bottles. They'll wait in line overnight if they have to. And some people are talking a lot about people who are actually buying the bottles just to resell them. Especially in Ohio, a lot of people get called taters who are doing that. Um, But in general, it's somebody who is highly interested in the the cliche rare bottles buffalo trace being a real big a real obvious one have you always had an evolved palate or was it learned over time my palate was very much learned over time uh even when i started this podcast i was very open about it i was not great at doing whiskey tastings i was learning along the way and it takes a ton of practice i'm still not the end-all be-all authority on on whiskey but i uh i've gotten significantly better and that's what you gotta do compare to yourself don't compare to other people compare to yourself yesterday i mean that's a that's a good philosophy to live by anyways what is acceptable in secondary market both selling and buying i'm not a hundred percent sure what you mean by this question if you mean like legal any type of secondary market is not legal. So somebody buying a bottle and flipping it is illegal uh, without a license. And I don't think there's any type of license where you can do it that way, if that makes sense. So um, secondary is technically illegal. The the jacked up retail prices, if that's what you mean, where you hop on like a website or you go to some place that has Pappy for $6,000. If you're asking like what's an acceptable price, I try not to feed that market at all. If it's um, not a quote-unquote tater bottle, basically, if it's like Elijah Craig C923 that everybody's been obsessed with, I'll overpay a few bucks for that. Um, but for like the you know the rare stuff, your typical tater bottles, I just don't even feed that market. To be honest with you, like I mentioned, there's there's so many good things to choose from. What book do you recommend for bourbon noobs? Um, I have not read bourbon books yet. Actually, there's one um, that I'm looking to read by Fred Minnick, The Rise and Fall of Bourbon. or You'll look it up. You'll find it immediately. Um, But in general, Fred Minnick is one of the most renowned writers in the bourbon world, and he has multiple different books that would be a good idea to get you started, I think. Also, the documentary Neat on Hulu, if you're more of a documentary person. That was fun to watch. It's a little bit... um, fluffy at some points is that the right word for it a little romantic about things but i am romantic when it comes to whiskey too so i liked it the next question can storage temperature and location affect the flavor of open bottles absolutely you want to keep your bottles out of the light you want to keep them in a fairly constant temperature that is very close to room temperature you don't want them heating up and cooling down and you don't want them exposed to a lot of light the next question, did you get your hands on any antiques this year? I did not. I still don't even own any. Uh, antiques, they're talking about the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, or they're talking about Weller uh, Antique. Uh, and either either response, I think, is no. I don't think I've even bought any Weller Antique this year. Maybe I bought one. I don't remember. 
Uh, 13th Colony, did I find mine locally? I did not. I don't even think 13th Colony is available in Ohio, if I'm not mistaken. Um, another one of those craft distillers, though, where I would like to try to help people get their hands on it. Love 13th Colony. Um, I actually did a Blanton's tasting, and I thought 13th Colony was an excellent substitute for Blanton's. Um, just 13th Colony bourbon, the batch that I have. So um, definitely recommend them, but no, I wasn't able to find them locally. What's the best whiskey to bring around people if you're new to it and you want to surprise everyone else? I'm assuming you mean you want to surprise them with like a high-ish quality bottle. That totally varies on your crowd. If you're with some serious whiskey geeks, then it's going to be really hard to impress them. If you're with some people who just generally like bourbon, they're casual tasters, I think a really good bottle that usually impresses people is Woodford Double Oaked. Um, I've done this a few times where I have recommended it as a gift or I have, I think, brought it to a tasting. And people like it. It's, um, it's a different flavor. It's a lot of oakiness. And if people like oakiness, they learn immediately. They learn immediately whether, whether or not they like an oaky t- taste in the bourbon. <laughs> so um, I'm a big fan of Woodford Double Oaked. Um, that's just off the top of my head, though. There's a lot of good bottles out there. What's my full-time job? I am a mechanical engineer. I have a degree in aerospace engineering, but my my career thus far out of college has been in the mechanical engineering industry. Very, very similar fields. Um, the next question, where can I buy a Whiskey Noobs Glencairn? They're not currently available to the public. They are available to specific patrons. I think it's the expert noobs tier that gets a free Glencairn after three or four months. Um, and so that's the only way to get one right now. If you want to just buy one, I'm working on that. But right now, so I make them by hand at the moment, and it takes a lot of time, and so I don't have them available to the public for that reason. Um, But I might switch to having them supplied, and if I do that, I will absolutely make them available to the whole public. So keep an eye out for that. I will definitely make it known, because if I I buy them, I'm going to want to sell them. So keep an eye out for that. Thoughts on eggnog. Do you like to make your own mixer by a pre-boozed eggnog like Evan Williams? I love eggnog, and surprisingly, probably to the surprise of most people, I don't like it very much with a spike in it, with any kind of alcohol, especially, I mean, even whiskey. I shouldn't say especially whiskey, but even whiskey. Um, I love eggnog by itself, so I don't buy it pre-boozed, um, and my favorite eggnog is actually the one that my dad makes, so it's definitely not pre-boozed. Uh, he makes it excellent homemade eggnog because I don't like a lot of the clovey, nutmeggy flavors. Um, I like more of the custardy flavor to come through. Um, so I don't know why I gave you so much specifics on my preferences for eggnog, but that's my answer. For people that like Smoke Wagon, uncut, unfiltered, what other bourbons do you recommend? Smoke Wagon has a nice uh, spicy profile to it. Uncut, unfiltered, you're talking barrel strength. If you haven't tried it, I would try... Probably Penelope's Barrel Strength or Wild Turkey Rare Breed. That has a nice spicy profile to it. Or I might try something from Barrel, like their newest Batch 35, I think, is their latest. Something like that. Um, I consider a lot of those to be what I call flavor bombs, where it's a lot of flavor. For some people, it burns too much. But for others who are okay with that burn, it's just a lot of flavor. Um, And off the top of my head, those are three that kind of fall into that category. And they all have a little bit different of a flavor, so you can kind of see which one you like more. One type of whiskey has to go. Which one is it? Bourbon, rye, scotch, Irish, etc. Oh, I I don't even know. Okay, I'm going to say this, and people are going to be mad at me uh, because I am so inexperienced in these two categories but i would say either canadian or japanese but um probably my gut says japanese because i've had a couple japanese that i didn't like and the ones that i did like i feel like i could get a similar experience with a scotch um 
and I say that saying and I say that with the transparency that I've drank very little Japanese and very little Canadian. I really want to expand more into those categories. I just haven't yet. Also, a lot of the Japanese whiskeys around me are uh, very expensive, so <laughs> that's another reason. Will the expansion of Buffalo Trace make their products easier to get? Golly, I hope so, but some people some people would argue that, <laughs> that they make their stuff um, difficult to get your hands on on purpose. Uh, and I'm not nearly knowledgeable enough to know whether or not that's the case, but I will say I certainly hope so. What's the most recent bottle that I've scored? I guess my most recent like tater score, uh, I'm going to use that tater word a lot now because we've just talked about it, uh, was the Weller 12-year. Uh, it was a surprise drop that Ohio did where I re- they sent out an email and they were like, get to Giant Eagle now. And I got to Giant Eagle late, but I still managed to get a bottle. So uh, Weller 12-year is my most recent one. What do you recommend for a daily whiskey just started following? Daily is really tough. I recommend finding anything below $30 or whatever is an acceptable price range to you uh, that you think is good enough to drink daily. Recently, I tried Benchmark Full Proof. Very impressed by that. Um, And I also would always recommend like Evan Williams Bottled and Bond or Evan Williams 1783. I always want to say 1792 because that is a different brand of whiskey. Evan Williams 1783 or Evan Williams Bottled and Bond, to me, are, are really solid go-tos. Those are what I keep in my decanters. The world of single malt, of American single malt is growing quickly. Are you interested in this category? I am, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. I did do an episode. Um, I forget what number it was, but it was an episode with Amanda Beckwith from the Virginia Distillery Company. I highly recommend you go check that out. They are uh, one of the up-and-coming, really impressive brands in the world of American single malts. How do you improve finding these things, scents and flavors, on your nose? I feel very elementary at times. Highly, highly, highly recommend blind tastings. That's the best way to do it, whether it's closing your eyes and scrambling the glasses, having a friend or spouse scramble them for you, or getting a box from someplace like Blind Barrels. Uh, I love Blind Barrels, and I love that their stuff's usually pretty different, so you really got to stretch those muscles. Um, Any of those types of things to do a blind tasting highly recommend. If you can't do it blind, just do a side-by-side tasting. It's still better than, uh, I guess I should say it's still an effective way, but blind is the best. Why are scotch bottles typically sold in boxes and bourbons are typically not? Um, that's a good question. I don't know if there's like a more specific answer, but what I'll say now is marketing. It, it, it's meant to kind of look cool, but I've also noticed that, yeah, a lot of scotches come in boxes. I don't know if it, it has to do with shipping them overseas. I doubt it, but maybe that's something. Um, but I think a lot of times I, I don't really like when stuff comes in an extra container because it's like, how much am I paying for this extra container? Is it 50 cents? If it's a metal tube, am I paying an extra buck 50 just so that you can ship it in this fancy metal tube? It always makes me wonder. What is my go-to recipe for making a traditional old-fashioned? Thanks. Um, go-to, I mean, if you're going traditional, then I would do a sugar cube, and I would do a couple dashes of Angostura bitters, maybe a couple dashes of orange bitters, um, muddle that all down, and then I would put on some bourbon, or put some bourbon in there, put a lot of ice, and I stir it enough to water it down. I don't actually add water, typically. I stir the heck out of it with ice uh, and then strain that over a large rock. That would be traditional, but my favorite old-fashioned actually is not traditional. It would be um, maple syrup as the sweetener. That's not traditional to use that. Um, Maple bitters, which arguably is also not super traditional, and then some kind of a sweet bourbon. I used Buffalo Trace, uh, and then you didn't. I didn't even have a garnish on that, but I think with a garnish of either a cherry or, or an orange peel, depending on your mood, could be really good. Okay. Guesstimate how much alcohol you consume in a, in a week, casual tastings, and work. 
I probably do three to four. I'm trying to average it out. It's weird for me because my tastings are small tastings a lot of times. I will do like less than half of what you would get at a restaurant. But I'm just going to take a guess here. I'm going to say three, maybe four per week of, of reviews and videos, blind battles, things like that. Um, and then uh, for a while there, like I said, I was doing one fun drink per week. Um, and then randomly, if it's something super important, like a wedding or something, I'll have a few more social drinks. Uh, once again, I, I, I want to be transparent. I don't want people to think I'm lying about my amount of alcohol that I'm drinking. If you see me in public and I'm drinking more than a couple, there's probably a reason for it. And it's not, I'm not pretending to be this guy who doesn't drink at all. Uh, however, I have been moving more towards that and I have been enjoying the, the less drinking. So, um, good question. I really made that one wordy and I didn't have to, but yeah, maybe, maybe three to four on a normal week, not during dry January though, which is here in a week. What is your personal preference, Heaven Hill or Buffalo Trace product? I would say Heaven Hill just because of availability. Heaven Hill has a ton of really good stuff, and it's also relatively easy to find. I'm a really, really big fan of Heaven Hill. Thoughts on Bardstown? Is it worth the price point? I just recently toured Bardstown, the distillery, and I loved it. The distillery is gorgeous. They have a lot of different bottles that are at a lot of different prices, so it's hard to say if it's worth the price point. I'll just disclose that anything over $100 a lot of the times is very specific. It's very law of diminishing returns, and it might not be worth the price to some people. Um, they do have some slightly more affordable bottles now, and everything I've tried from them I've liked, so do with that information what you will. But whether it's worth the specific price, I'd have to break it down on like a bottle-by-bottle basis. What's the best whiskey-related memory? Oh, man. Ooh, that's, that's a tough one. The best whiskey-related memory. I think I might have said this before. It's probably one time before I first started building a whiskey selection. My dad had bought multiple different bottles um, from Total Wine. And so we wanted to try them because we're like, we want to know what these taste like. And so together we like walked through and just did little, little tastings of each bottle, talked about what we liked about them, what we didn't like about them. That was a lot of fun. Um, and that's actually what kicked off me starting a selection. Have you or could you review the Penelope Valencia versus the normal Penelope four grain? Uh, I have not. I could if Penelope would like to send me a bottle. I don't know if anybody from Penelope is listening, but I can't get my hands on Valencia that I'm aware of. Um, but I maybe I can try to reach out to him and see if I could. But I don't want. I don't like to try to like pull strings like I'm some um, some super famous guy because that's. I I told you guys I'm really cautious about coming across as pretentious but um if i can get my hands on it absolutely that's something that i could do would you do a beer and bourbon pairing that is an interesting one i don't know if i know enough about beer to do that i'm gonna keep this photo i always delete them as i go through um but i'm gonna keep that one and maybe i will try to do one um have i ever been to scotland to sample our fine whiskeys straight from the source I have not. Um, I'm hoping to eventually go over to Scotland and try out some of the whiskeys over there and also go to some of the distilleries, hopefully. Uh, what is my favorite around $60 bottle? Gosh, I'm just going to have to come right off the cuff because there's so many good ones. Anytime I hear $60, probably just because it's one of the more recent ones I've bought for $60, I think Penelope Architect. I have build number six. It's absolutely delicious. Um, Woodford Double Oak that I mentioned earlier, that's one of my most solid around. I think it's like 55. That's one of the most solid out there. It's like 
I know I can buy it. I'm going to like it. I'll also throw in the ring four roses, small batch select. That's about 60 bucks as well. Um, Oh, I think I already answered this earlier. Have I always had the nose and powder? Did, did it develop over the years? Absolutely developed over the years. The last bottle that I purchased might have been that Weller 12 year, might have been something different. I don't know for sure. That's all the questions that I've got for today, though, guys. I actually did manage to fly through that lightning round kind of quickly, relatively quickly. Uh, and since I'm not doing a mystery whiskey tasting, I'm just going to go finish my coffee. So thank you guys for submitting your questions. Um, and once again, you can submit those through Instagram every Wednesday. You can join the Patreon page if you want to submit them through there. I really appreciate you guys submitting these questions. These episodes are always a ton of fun. Don't be afraid to ask more questions, and I will see you guys at the next one. Learn to drink, drink to learn. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Whiskey Noobs. If you need more Whiskey Noobs content in your life, make sure you check out our Patreon page in the show notes. And if you like the show, please make sure to leave a five-star rating or review. It only takes a couple of minutes, and they're way more helpful than people realize. If you want to do tastings alongside the show, make sure you join the email list by sending an email to whiskeynoobspodcast at gmail.com with a subject line that says email list. You'll receive monthly emails with a list of the whiskeys that will be featured throughout the month so that you can buy them ahead of time. You can also find more Whiskey Noobs content on Instagram at Whiskey underscore Noobs and on TikTok at Whiskey Noobs Podcast. Once again, thank you guys for listening. The Whiskey Noobs Podcast does not support underage or otherwise irresponsible consumption of alcohol.